This episode of C Prime on the Grid is brought to you by Site Tracker, who will be attending our ETS 19 conference in Austin, Texas. For more information, go to ets19.co. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Z Prime on the Grid, our show about issues concerning the energy industry. I am your host, Dylan Lockwood. Joining me, as always, is co-host Aaron Hardick. How are you doing today, Aaron? I'm doing well, well Dylan. Uh, we're in the few weeks leading up to ETS. This is always kind of a busy time for us. Um, ETS is our flagship event, so been really focused on that. Um, but always really excited for the event coming up in April. We are focused on it working hard to make sure that it's the best event it can be with the brightest minds in in energy to come talk about these issues. And we've got one of them here with us today. Joining us today is Irene Schur, Vice President of Sales at SiteTracker, where she develops the outbound enterprise sales channel and oversees a team of enterprise account executives. How are you doing today, Irene? Uh, great, Dylan. Thanks. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. Uh, really happy to have you here, repping SiteTracker. SiteTracker's tagline is build the future faster. So what market conditions are you encountering with utilities as they look forward and what infrastructure do they need to get there? So I think um, at a high level, we're kind of seeing two things. And the first one is that um, there, there is a lot of new technology that needs to be deployed to respond to challenges around modernizing our energy infrastructure whether that's to combat climate change or just kind of create a more sustainable future for us overall. So there's new technology that needs to be deployed. And then the second one is distinct, but sort of supports the first one, um, which is enhancing the existing grid and the way that we do transmission and distribution today, and ultimately um, addressing those older challenges around transmission and distribution is also essential in order to be able to build the new stuff. But in regards to the old stuff, what are the pitfalls utilities are running into with legacy asset management and the T&D challenges? Because one would think that since that's familiar territory, they would be having an easier time planning for it. Yeah, good question. Um, I wouldn't actually call this familiar territory. While certainly utilities have been keeping the lights on for the last century, um, true asset management is still really new in North America. Uh, Some consultants estimate that roughly 90% of North American utilities are sort of pre-asset management or in the very earlier novice asset management stages, meaning they're just beginning to think about it or implement the groundwork. Um, So today, uh, what we see more of is that asset management is largely reactive. There's not a lot of planning. It's driven by budget planning to not an asset health analysis or sort of reliability analysis that would lead you to be able to do really smart planning around, you know, essentially how to triage the issues in the grid and and move forward with that. So the first thing I would say is that there's plenty of challenges in what you might call familiar territory, even though those assets have been around for a long time. So Irene, that that actually kind of leads me to the question I had for you. So about uh, a year ago, Z Prime did a study uh, that was centered around integrating generation, transmission, and distribution planning. And we actually found that only 36% of utility executives said a more integrated GT&D planning platform would be a high 
high investment priority for the future. But we also found from that study that 89% of those same utilities said they had something going on today. And I think that kind of lends to your point that it's not uh, a lack of interest uh, on the utility side, but it does seem to be that there's just new challenges arising that they're not sure how to address. So how, why do utilities not seem to be prioritizing creative, creating a better planning process for a modern transmission and distribution system if we kind of, they, they know that there's a need, but there's still just kind of hesitancy to move forward? Why is that? Yeah, Aaron, you know, I think that statistic from the survey you guys did is really interesting. And it's, it's surprisingly low, um, the 36%. But at the same time, the fact that it's low isn't surprising to me because I think in general what we see is that the ratio of planning versus reacting is off. Um, but I, I think it's hard to hold utilities directly accountable for this because, of course, they're operating in a regulatory framework that doesn't always align with um, getting ahead of these longer-term priorities. So I think in general for utilities, it's harder to get cost recovery for longer-term investments um, because there are near-term rate change implications and those long-term benefits can be hard to see in the near term. Um, And I also think in the near term, there have been some bigger initiatives that have taken precedence like storm hardening and resiliency measures And those seem to be dominating where the money is spent proactively versus some of the kinds of things that you're talking about. I think innovative companies might not be that likely to invest in building solutions for the utility industry. And part of that is just because of how hard it can be to acquire new utility customers and kind of the slow adoption of new utilities. Um, And I think that, you know, Eagerness to change does not necessarily characterize this industry, but that may begin, be beginning to change, which is great because I think that then there will, will be more innovation in the partner ecosystem that surrounds utilities to help solve these problems. I will say, so to add to your point, we did do this survey about uh, probably a little bit more than a year ago. So at that time, to your point, the storms and resiliency, Hurricane Harvey had not hit yet. And the California wildfires had not you know, been so highly publicized. So I do agree with you that that number is low. And if we redid this survey, I would expect there to be more of an executive uh, focus on investment in this area. But still, how do we sort of crack open and demonstrate the importance of value, importance and value of updating transmission distribution planning tools? Well, I think because of the kinds of things you just mentioned, like natural disasters, as well as some of the more preventable disasters that have happened out in California, um, that, you know, the importance and invisibility of these things have already increased. Um, You know, some of the things that we find as we're talking to our customers and prospects is that it's exceptionally difficult to manage all of your poles and make sure that they're loaded properly and that they're structurally sound uh, if you don't know where all of them are. And there are utilities that cannot actually locate 100% of their poles today. Um, And I think that, you know, again, with the kinds of things you were talking about, the issues that have been going on, that sort of thing is going to become untenable in the future if we know that. Uh, incorrectly loading a, a pole or, you know, not doing the proper maintenance can result in these large-scale disasters. That's something that's just going to have to change. I think that that's also uh, one of the ways to sort of change the idea of of accountability, since you were talking about that that earlier. And 
how these very public facing natural disasters and how the utility uh, gets involved in responding to them or preparing for them is becoming more and more it's becoming more and more public. Do you think that that's maybe a pressure that can help get people out of this rut or really help uh, light a fire now that there's more public scrutiny around these disasters? I think it's a combination of public attention, but then again, also coming back to having the right regulatory framework to allow utilities to plan for this kind of stuff. So I think, you know, it's a double-edged sword. Um, one thing I wanted to mention on this same topic, um, because I do think that even, even though your survey might have shown that not everyone's focused on this, we do see utilities that are shifting to thinking this way and feeling like they need to do more or better job of, of the way they manage their assets. Um, we're working with one utility in the Northeast where just a year ago, they had all of their pole maintenance plans on spreadsheets or sometimes even written down on physical sheets of paper. And the only way they really knew the progress of their initiatives, um, initiatives being, you know, sort of scheduled to go out and inspect and then replace faulty poles was based on how much of their budget they had spent. So if they're, you know, 50% of the way through the budget, they just assumed that they were 50% of the way through the project objectives. Um, but there was no actual audit trail on the results, uh, you know, or the upgrades and the replacements that were being made. And today they can locate every poll, see what the results of the last audit were, and see the timing of the upgrades and when those are planned. So I think that, you know, um, it, your survey is interesting. I don't disagree with it, but I think that with the conversations we're having, we're definitely seeing a move towards uh, more prioritization on this. Yeah, and I don't, so Irene, I also don't want to isolate that one data point. So it was, the actual data point is 36% of utilities said that investing in a more integrated planning platform was not a high priority. However, other parts of the survey did very much indicate that utilities are interested in uh, better leveraging asset management and transmission and distribution system data. We had um, one of our data points say that 66% of utilities have plans to increase initiatives around this area within the next three years, and that was a year ago. So I would I would hope that some of those utilities are now somewhat farther along in those initiatives, not only just planning to, to work on them, but probably farther along. So yeah, I, I agree with you that um, that that one data point is not representative of actually what's going on in the market today, also based off some of the utility conversations I have in this area. Just kind of shifting focus here, because we talked about the legacy systems. You also mentioned future-facing policy and technology trends, uh, especially as they relate to climate change. Uh, are the issues in adopting things like EVs, renewables, DERs, is similar to the issues with updating and maintaining legacy assets, or is that a whole other can of worms? Yeah, no, I do think there are similarities. And I think that attention to climate change and the solutions that are um, that we're starting to talk about that are different ways to address it have uncovered that in many ways the physical infrastructure and policy infrastructure that we have today is not prepared for the energy future that we're working towards. And I would say it's not prepared for the long-term vision, but also not prepared for even the incremental changes that a lot of folks are trying to make in the near term. Um, you know, I think that there, there are similarities between the legacy maintenance um, and as well as deploying these newer energy solutions. Both of those things face a challenge of volume. Um, you know, there's a ton of poles that need to be maintained. There's, there's a lot of T&D infrastructure that has to be maintained. And similarly, when you talk about deploying new networks of things like DERs 
or um, electric vehicle charging stations, there's going to be a high volume of those. And I think what we see is that um, most utilities have a number of point solutions, uh, big software solutions that are really good at building a power plant and then running that for, you know, over many years, but are not as good with these smaller, more incremental tasks. And in addition to that, those big point solutions tend not to talk to each other, even when multiple solutions may be in service of the same asset. So I think, you know, those are some of the challenges that we're seeing across both of those areas, both maintaining the legacy infrastructure as well as building the new. And Irene, we're also seeing that in our research. Um, when we ask utilities what some of their main challenges were in updating the distribution grid, the top answer was regulatory requirements. 51% of utilities said that that is their biggest challenge right now, followed second by business benefits and then budget limitations. So all things I think that everybody in the market is aware of. So now we have to start to kind of come together and figure out how do we start to solve some of these challenges. Makes sense. Yeah. I'm glad that what you're hearing is the same as, you know, what, what we are as well. So Irene, what is the biggest threat to utilities today? So, you know, I, I think that it's up to utilities to demonstrate that they are or that they can be an essential part of our energy future and that they can animate the market for new technologies. Um, I think in the past, they've been seen as a force that has delayed uh, some new technologies from coming to the market. And I don't think that they've figured this out yet. There are a lot of incremental changes taking place, but very few that are far reaching. Um, I think, you know, we're seeing a lot going on in New York with reforming the energy vision. Uh, that initiative has very far reaching goals. But again, I think when you see the projects that are be, being put into place, I don't know that they're going to get us there. And that, again, the policy and physical infrastructure we've been talking about can get them all the way there as well. Um, so ultimately, I think that all of it does come back again to the regulatory environment that they they work in. I don't think that policymakers have created environments that are conducive to utility innovation and step changes versus small changes. Um, similarly, the grid was not built in a way that supports what's happening at the grid edge. So we're going to have to rethink the whole system to get there. We keep coming back to uh, the constraints of the regulatory environment. What, what should regulators be listening to and how can they... What should regulators be listening to when they're trying to create an, envir an environment that is more feasible to creating this digital energy future? I think it's really about time horizons. Uh, utilities today plan on a 20-year horizon to ensure that they'll have enough energy to support the future, but I don't think we plan on a 20-year time horizon to say, will we support the, the other changes that we need to be ready for? Um, so, you know, load planning happens, but where is the rest of it? And then we have to be willing to invest now in something that we may not see the benefit of for some time to come. So I think, you know, those are, those are the central challenges. And um, there's always going to be friction between the goals of the present and the goals of the future. Are you helping utilities make that case to regulators? How do, how do they go about trying to implement those changes? Their hands are tied by the regulators. I wouldn't say that we're, you know, that we're necessarily helping utilities to make the case for really long-term change, but, you know, kind of bringing this back to um, what we're going to be talking about at the conference and things um, are, what we are helping with are the first steps to get there. So um, we have one utility partner um, that we're working with because they were struggling to meet turnaround times for interconnection requests for solar and storage from their customer base. 
Um, the regulators had asked them to do this on a 30-day time frame, uh, and this is a completely new initiative or project or responsibility that the utility had to take on. And kind of without the proper systems and processes in place, that was really difficult. Um, so, you know, I think that um, what we are helping with are those first steps to get there. Uh, and, and we're helping with the projects that utilities are embarking on first. And even though that is coming back more to the more incremental changes that I've been talking about, it is essential to get those right in order to put utilities on the path to do the bigger thing. There is some linkage between what we're doing today and how that's going to help with the way um, utilities need to adapt for the future. Irene, with all the excitement around emerging technologies, how do you help your clients sift through all the noise and build a functional roadmap to address the challenges and expectations of a modern grid? So I think there's a couple things I would um, I would highlight here. Um, I talked about this before, but there's going to be a need to be able to manage volume. Um, you're gonna, there's going to be a higher volume of work and projects to take on. And in general, utilities aren't going to have more resources to be able to do those. So I think that, you know, part of the roadmap has to be uh, addressing volume. Part of it also has to be standardization. Um, when you have more work with the same number of people to do it, you need better process, which often comes from standardization and taking a process and perfecting it for speed and efficiency. Um, I also think a key part of this is going to be data and visibility. Um, you know, go, going back to some of the examples I've, I've mentioned about utilities that we're working with, where they're working on projects, big, massive programs that have many unit components, and they really don't know the details of those or where those stand, that makes it impossible to find out where your turnaround time is slower than, than you want, where your quality problems, um, and, you know, just overall, what could you do to enhance the efficiency of your operations? So I think that um, data and visibility into what happens in projects ultimately leads to operational excellence. Um, and, you know, operational excellence leads to faster cycle times and sort of better value uh, for ratepayer dollars. So um, ultimately, I think those, those are the kind of things, volume, standardization, visibility, um, that underpin the roadmap or the, the advice that we give to our prospects as we try to help them through those challenges. So Irene, you're going to be speaking at ETS, I believe, on Wednesday, April 17th. Your panel is titled The Next Six Months, Bringing Our Big Ideas to Life. Can you tell us a little bit about what that's going to be about and what you hope people who attend take away from it? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm going to be moderating that panel. And I think it is a, I think it really um, goes back to a lot of what we've already been talking about um, today, which is that there are these major transformations that are going to take place over the next decade or two. Uh, our energy future is definitely not going to look like our present, but how do you get started? The panel will address taking the first step, so, for example, demonstrating that utilities are best positioned to roll out EV infrastructure by ensuring that they nail their first batch of projects. So, after three days of everyone being together at the conference and discussing really big ideas, we kind of want to ground people in how to tackle just the next six to 12 months before they depart, because some of those challenges that folks are facing in the near term can feel just as difficult as the longer term ones. Well, we're definitely... All looking forward to it. Irene, thanks for coming on and talking about the challenges in updating legacy systems and adopting future technologies. It's a huge part of the grid of the future and parsing how to appropriately plan for that is so vital. So thank you for coming and talking with us about it. Thanks for having me. Aaron, thanks for being on with us today.
Of course, Dylan. Always a pleasure. So to hear from Irene and all the other great people at ETS19, you can head over to ETS19.co for an up-to-date lineup and agenda and for registration information. It's going to be April 15th through 18th in Austin, Texas. We hope to see you there. You can find our research and media at ETSinsights.com. You can find us on social media at D.Y. Lockwood, at Aaron underscore Hardick, and at Z Prime underscore Research. My name is Dylan, and we'll see you all next time.